Today we'll have Joe, our worship director, and one of our elders teaching. Our scripture reading is from John 13, verses 34 to 35. If you'd like to follow along in our pew Bibles, this is on page 900. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Please give Joe a warm welcome. Oh my goodness, what just happened? <laughs> I am really out of my element here. So you guys know, I'm usually, like Joey was saying, he's used to being over there. And because uh, I'm usually over here, Joey's over there, and stuff kind of happens. Um, talking for me without a guitar in my hand is kind of an odd thing. So I don't do that. We were trying to remember when the last time I actually spoke in public, and I think it was before we had kids. That's my wife, by the way, over here. <laughs> you guys don't know. So um, I'm just going to be myself. I hope that's okay. I got a big mouth. I probably don't even need this microphone, but for the sake of those that are watching us here uh, on social media, watching the live stream, there you go. Um, gosh, I've been here for about a little over a year and a half now, and it doesn't seem like it's been that long. But first I wanna just say thank you to uh, the Regen family and the elders and the board and all you guys for just making me feel like a, a part of the church and part of the family here. I've not had an opportunity to say that publicly, so I'm saying it now. I like you guys, you guys are pretty cool. Hopefully you guys feel the same way, so. <laughs> it's okay, clap, make me feel better. All right. So, uh, one other thing I'm gonna do here really quickly is something that I've not really done because I'm a horrible self-promoter, but trying to get you guys to know a little bit of insight of where I'm coming from and where I've been. Gosh, I grew up in church. I've been in church my whole life most of my whole life, anyway. And for those of you guys that don't know, obviously I'm a musician. I have a, a nonprofit worship ministry, worship band that travels internationally. We have been, I think we got a slide up there. If you can toss that one up there. Uh, and I'm gonna do my best to uh, stay in order here, Linus. I know that uh, oftentimes when I lead worship, I tend to get a little random there. So if you go to the second slide there, it should be, uh, go backwards. Going back there. Should be. There it is. All right, so that's me in the middle. Hey, look, Mom, that's me. <laughs> right there in the middle. Uh, and the band is called Run With Patience there. And so uh, we've got a bunch of albums and a bunch of music out that's on Spotify. And um, I think every once in a while you can hear it on the radio and stuff like that. And I think the next slide is another picture of uh, one of the worship albums that we did. Uh, go ahead and click to the next one. There you go. Uh, that one there is a worship album. And then the one on the right there with the shirt, me and the shirt, that's actually a brand new single that we had just come out a couple of weeks ago. And you're probably just now hearing about it because I really don't self-promote a whole lot. So there you go. It'll probably be the last time you ever hear me talk about it from the platform here. Um, but like I said, I kind of grew up, I grew up actually in the Bay Area. Uh, and I'm not going to take you through my whole childhood. Don't worry. This is not one of those when I was six years old, you know, dad left me or something like that. It's not one of those stories. But, however, my church experience, like I said, I grew up going to church, actually at a church in San Bruno, San Bruno, the Church of the Nazarene. And um, 
I remember some of my earlier Sunday school teachers, they would go down there and teach us stories about Jonah and the whale, Moses parting the Red Sea and all that stuff like that. We went to that church for eight, nine years, something like that, probably from the time I was about eight years old, seven or eight years old, until I was about maybe 15 or 16, and we went to a Pentecostal church somewhere in the middle because we stopped going. We went to a Pentecostal church over in Redwood City, and we would literally like, get to church at about 8 in the morning, and church would go. And if you have, how many people have ever been to a Pentecostal church? Okay, so there's a few that know what I'm getting ready to talk about here. So we would go from like 8 in the morning, and then uh, there would be music, and the preacher would preach, and sometimes it would be like both combined there. And we would go till about yeah, 5 or 6 in the evening. I'm not kidding. It was like an all-day thing. So you would go home for about an hour, and you have to come back for like night service. That went from like 6 o'clock till about whenever they felt like letting you go. So it's like as an eight or nine-year-old kid, I kind of felt like I was being held hostage, <laughs> you know? And I'm just being honest. That was just my church experience growing up. But um, we moved to California from Chicago in 1981. And I was talking with Justin back there, and he was telling me he wasn't even born in 1981, so thank you for making me feel old. Holy cow, where did the time go? And I remember one of my earliest childhood memories from, from that year. There you go, growing up as a church kid in 1981. We were from Chicago, so I was about nine years old. My worldview was extremely small. I had no idea that there was any place outside of Chicago, Illinois. I really did not. So when we moved here, we lived in a place apartments over in San Bruno. And I remember one of the first little kids that I met was a kid. They were from Iran. And I remember we were outside playing, and he comes outside and he introduces himself. I think he said his name was uh, Danielle or something like that. And he proceeds to tell me about um, the president, Ronald Reagan, and how Iran is better. And I remember thinking as an eight-year-old kid, what's in Iran? Like, where, are you running from someplace? And who's Ronald Reagan? I don't I have no idea who you're talking about, dude. Can we just play cars? You know? Um, it was just so bizarre. But here are some of the popular things. If you're not familiar, how many, anybody here alive in 1981? Okay. So you guys are my people. All right. So here... Here's some of the, just to take you back to like my growing up experience, here are some of the things that were popular in uh, 1981. In 1981, this may seem like it happened yesterday, but NASA launched the very first reusable space shuttle Columbia. Anybody remember that? All right, anybody? Bueller? It's okay to raise your hand, by the way. I'm, I'm working out my nerves. I got a lot of energy here. Also, in 1981, Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark debuted. Could you believe he just came out with another one? It's, uh, what is it, the Dial of Destiny or something like that? I'm thinking, good grief, Indiana Jones, hip replacement now. Come on, man. Uh, 1981, the Oakland Raiders were still in Oakland, and they won the Super Bowl that year, 27 to 10 over the Philadelphia Eagles. One of the earliest memories I have of my dad, who you guys know passed away last year, was that we had just moved here, and he was so excited that the Raiders were going to win the Super Bowl that he was eating one of those um, Hungry Man dinners. Did they still make those? And he was jumping up and down, the Raiders are going to win. And he just, food went everywhere. And I think my mom got mad at him. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. Uh, 1981, 700 million people, million people watched the wedding of Princess Charles and Lady Diana. I remember watching that on TV going, who are these people? I have no idea. Like, why is this a big deal? But, uh, let's see. In 81, we moved from Chicago, uh, from Illinois, Chicago, Illinois. I believe we lived on the south side of Chicago. Is that right, Mom? Let's just go with it. <laughs> and we moved to San Bruno, California. And then I think the next slide, that is me as a nine-year-old kid. I had hair, folks. How about that? Wow. And like I told you, we grew up going to church in my house. And before I get to this next slide, um, my mom, 
While she's not a preacher, she's a preacher, if you know what I mean. Her dad was a preacher, was a Pentecostal preacher, was the youngest of 13 boys, who I believe were all preachers as well, right, Mom? All right, cool. And don't want to mess that up. So church at our house was not really an option, and we knew we were going to church. Me and my brother were laying in bed, and we would just wait. Mom would wake up, and you could hear her footsteps just through the house. She would make her way to this record player, which she still has, by the way. And for those of you that don't know, records are these things. They look like CDs, but they're really big. And you put them on this thing, and the needle goes, and it sounds like somebody's frying bacon, and it plays music. And when mom played this particular song, I think Stephanie's going to play it for me. You turn that up a bit. This is how I knew I was going to church on Sunday morning, because she would play this song every Sunday. She would go through the house, and pretty soon I'd hear, everybody wake up, because this house goes to church in the morning. And so she'd walk in there and snatch the sheets off the bed, and we'd have to get dressed. We would sing this song all the way to church, and probably sing this song in church a couple of times. You go ahead and turn that off now, Stephanie. <laughs> So, but that was my church experience growing up. What I've noticed as I look back on those times, it's like all the lessons that we learned. Um, I remember uh, some of the rules and regulations that we would have for church. They would tell us, like, you know, some of the rules for membership in the church and the way that we were supposed to act as Christians was like, you weren't allowed to have tattoos. And clearly I just blew past that one. You weren't allowed to have tattoos. You know, uh, women weren't allowed to wear pants or makeup or earrings. You couldn't smoke. You, weren't, you couldn't even, I think at the, uh, the Nazarene church, they had this rule to, to keep yourself holy and righteous. It's like they'd really discourage even playing card games because if somebody walked by the window of your house, they might think that you're gambling and you could lead somebody to sin. It was just really a lot of strict rules and regulations. And some of those things have its places in, in, you know, in, in a Christian's life. I mean, if that's going to cause you to stumble, then by, by all means, you know, I'm not downing any of that stuff or anything like that at all. Don't get me wrong but there wasn't really a whole lot of talk about how we were supposed to treat each other in the church and what, and how Christians as brothers and sisters, whether or not you know it or not, um, you guys are stuck with me. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Whether you like me or not, I hope you do, but whether you like me or not, you're stuck with me, and I love being stuck with you guys, so, you know, deal with it. <laughs> I'm going to read to you this next verse, which is the one that we just read, and I want you to pay attention to the underlines here. In John 13, 34, 35, he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And I think one of the two most important things is that we have to realize that love as Christ commanded or asked of us is not really an option. It's a commandment, which is why he says, a new commandment I give you. He's not really giving us a whole bunch of options here. He says, a new commandment I give you that we must first recognize that love among brothers and sisters is not a negotiable option. He says that you are to love one another as I have loved you. So then we have to realize in what ways did Jesus show his love to his disciples. And now this is a really, really broad subject and I'm gonna try and keep it narrow because we could splinter off and go a whole bunch of different ways. So if, um, if you have Questions or complaints about what I said, you can call the church complaint hotline at 555-5555. There you go. <laughs> uh, okay, so what, what ways did Jesus show love? Uh, one of them is compassion and humility. All right, cool. I'm just making sure I keep, I'm keeping up here. I got it here, but I know I tend to get a little bit random and I get off track, though. So Jesus demonstrated 
deep compassion and provided for their physical and emotional needs. In John chapter 13, verses 14 through 17, and if you want to take notes or whatever, by all means, go ahead. He washed at the feet of his disciples, teaching them to serve one another with love and humility. Now, as much as I love and appreciate you guys, I'm not in a hurry to wash anybody's feet, to be honest. I'm just, I'm just saying. Any of you guys have kids, like teenagers? Anybody? I got a teenage boy and a teenage girl, 17 and 16 years old. And at any given time, I know I could walk in my son's room, and the smell is off the charts something different there. <laughs> I'm just saying. I love the boy, but cleaning up after him, let alone washing his feet after gym class and as he's been running around all day, is not really ideal. But if you think about Jesus washing his disciples' feet, they walked everywhere they went. The king of glory of heaven and earth washing somebody's stinky, nasty feet. How much more humble does it get than that? And I'm sorry if that language is kind of like, oh, oh my gosh, clutch your pearls. Um, but it's just, it's the truth. How much did Christ humble himself to show us how to humble each other, humble ourselves amongst each other to show love? So he washed his feet and he says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Some places actually do this. I'm neither here nor there with it, but... Um, it's the act of humility that I think that was more important than the actual act of washing feet. By all means, if Christ or the Holy Spirit was tugging on my heart to wash somebody's feet, I would do it. We do something else, though. <laughs> you know? If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. The second way that he showed love was sacrificial love. And uh, Jesus demonstrated his willingness to be humble, to give up his heavenly rights, to suffer and sacrifice himself for their sake. Now, one of the examples here, and I'm always, I've been stuck on this for the last couple of months, and if you've been here for the last several months, you've heard me talk about Malchus in the Bible. Just a quick show of hands. Does anybody know who that is? It is a few. So let me just recap the story here real quick, and then I'll get back to the slide here. So Jesus, uh, the Last Supper in the communion, which we'll do here in a bit, had uh, the Last Supper with his disciples, and they broke bread together, and then he went to the garden to pray. And then Judas, who betrayed Jesus, had taken off to go do whatever it is that he was going to do, um, the betrayal, and go grab some people to come grab Jesus. And so as the Roman soldiers and some of the teachers of the law were approaching to arrest Jesus and take him into custody, there were soldiers there, there were some of the teachers of the law, and um, also, there was the servant of one of the teachers of the law named Malchus in uh, John chapter uh, 19 here. And if you're familiar with what happened here, is that Peter gets a little bit ahead of himself because he's been dealing with some hard truths here. First of all, to go back a little bit further, Jesus had told Peter that you're going to deny that you even know me. You're, you're going to you're gonna turn away from me. You're going to... Um, you're going to publicly acknowledge that or deny that you even know me. And so Peter at this point is like, no, I'd never do that. He's telling Jesus, you don't know what you're, talk, what you're talking about. So then this moment comes, Peter, I imagine, if he's me or like me in any type of way, or if I'm like him, is probably self-doubting at this point, trying to reaffirm himself that I'll stand for Jesus no matter what. And I know that some of us have probably said that if Jesus was here and they tried to take him, I'd stand up for him. And so Peter is watching these people come and try and take his Lord and Master away. And Scripture says he reaches for a sword, and he goes and he cuts off this man's ear. 
he cuts off Malchus's ear. Malchus is not a Roman soldier. He's not a teacher of the law. He's just a servant. He's there because uh, his master, his, um, the person that he's endangered to servitude to, uh, probably made him go. So he's kind of an innocent bystander. I'm just going to assume that he's an innocent bystander. This is the only uh, section in the Bible where he's ever mentioned. Yet, he's the one that gets his ear cut off. Now, to kind of relay this in modern terms, why this is a big deal and why this is such a show of compassion, let's say that something like this happened today in today's climate, in today's supercharged uh, social justice climate here. So you have a guy that's being arrested, and one guy goes to try and stick up for him, and there's a bunch of police around, and a bunch of uh, other people around, lawyers, whatever, I don't know. And this one guy reaches for a sword. Do you think the police innocently stand by? How many police officers do you think reach for their gun? Or reach to try and tackle this guy? or this is becoming a near riot situation. So what Jesus does, tells Peter to put away his sword, heals Malchus's ear, and I just thought about this while I was doing this, is that <laughs> Jesus, before he saves everybody's soul on the cross, he saves a bunch of people's lives right here and there because it's probably a melee getting ready to happen right here. Um, and how odd is it that or how telling is it that Peter, a Christ follower, one of the first Christians there, in his own zeal to prove that he's dedicated to Jesus, that he's devoted to Jesus, hurts an innocent bystander with his actions. Have any of us ever done that before? Hurt each other because we feel like we're right, and he may have been technically right, but kind of did the wrong thing. And this is how Christ shows love for us. Despite our mistakes, he saves Peter's life. He heals an innocent bystander's ear and saves these Roman soldiers from having to probably bludgeon to death a bunch of people. He saved basically everybody's life here. This is the, uh, as I've said it once before, I think during one of our prayer times here, the actions of somebody who works way beyond multiple levels that any of us could ever think of or think beyond because um, we're not Jesus here. John chapter 19, verse 10 and 11. In the garden, when, be, when being arrested, Jesus demonstrates his love for his disciples and his love for strangers, those that don't know him. And what we can pull away from this is that the act of love is hard work because it's not just being polite. It's not just putting on a face. You actually, love is a verb, as people like to say. It takes action. You have to put your heart and your, and your mind into it there. Let's see, where am I at? Love God and love people. The greatest commandment, we'll keep tracking along here, Matthew 22, 37 and 39, and he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, Christ tells us to love each other. And in fact, he says that they will know that you are disciples by the love that you have for one another. So that the outside world, how do they know that we're Christ followers? Just because we profess it? Probably. But also by the way that we treat each other, the way that we uphold, actually the, one of the songs that we're doing today, uh, they'll know that we are Christians by our love. Sorry, that was a spoiler alert. Um, they'll know that we are Christians by our love. Every time I had heard that song before, I always thought that 
the outside world will know that we're Christians by the love that we show to them. And that's partially true. But what Christ is saying is that they'll know that you're my disciples by the way that you love each other, the way that you speak for each other, the way that you stand up for each other, the way that you guys and all of us and myself included hold each other up and accountable and um, show respect to one another the way that Christ did for us. All right, so I'm going to just repeat the second part here as we move on to the second part of this, where he says that, and he said to them, and this is Matthew 22, 37, 39. Now, you can toss that back up there one more time. Sorry, Linus. There we go. Uh, and he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is so hard. This is hard for me. Uh, I have a friend of mine here, <laughs> here today, and I'm going to just point him out real quickly. I'll just, just say that um, he's over here someplace. I don't want to publicly point him out or anything or embarrass him or anything like that. And his name might uh, rhyme with James Hartman. Um, and James and I kind of go back a few years. I mean, his, his wife, Jackie, is here, who I love to death. Thank you guys for being here today. James and I, we meet for coffee every once in a while and stuff like that and just kind of talk and see where each other are at. And uh, we're alike in a lot of ways, and we're very different in a lot of ways. I consider James a brother. I consider James a good friend, and uh, I appreciate his friendship and uh, his input into my life, and uh, I hope that uh, I'm pretty sure he does the same, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. But uh, I am not, and uh, despite what it may seem, I am not the biggest people person. I'm kind of in my element when I'm here leading worship and even sharing with you guys that I'm getting a little bit more comfortable with this. But when I go home, I'm at home, and I don't like to be bothered, and, you know, I don't spend a lot of time on the phone and all of that, and I go to the gym super early. I, just so you know, I, I, I've gone to the gym every, every day for like the last six years, but I go at about 4.30 to 5.30 in the morning just to avoid people, so I don't have to talk to people, you know, and if there's people there, and I, I'm over, I live in Napa, but I'm here in Oakland, and I always tell the people that I know in Napa, it's like, if you see me at the gym and you wave at me and I don't wave back, please don't take that personal. I'm just not interested in talking to you. <laughs> That's just like the nicest way I can put it. I love you, just don't talk to me here, talk to me there, because this is like with, uh, you know, family life at home and two kids, and I manage an apartment complex, and I'm involved in music and all this stuff. This is really the only quiet time that I get. So um, every once in a while, my daughter or, or Jenny will say, hey, I should go with you. Now, I love them all to death. I really, really do. But sometimes when they ask me, like, can you go? It's like I feel obligated as the husband and as the father to say yes, but I'm kind of secretly hoping, could you guys go home? <laughs> you know? But anyway, all right, so who is your neighbor? Your non-believing friends, your non-believing strangers, those who offend you, those who have committed offenses towards you, the Republican, the Democrat, the woke, the unwoke, and people who use it as a slur when they don't really know what it means, that's my issue. I'll get to that later. That's a whole other thing. People that identify as others, those who identify as different, gay, straight, the ones who use pronouns, the homeless, the hopeless, and the addicted, these are your neighbors, and these are the people that we are commanded to love as our neighbors and as ourselves. We are responsible despite whether or not we agree or disagree with their lifestyles or lifestyle choices. We're supposed to uphold their dignity as human beings and love them as such until they come into a full agreement with Christ as their Savior, and we can love them as brothers and sisters as Christ loves us. Can we get an amen on that? Is that the truth? Okay, cool. I got my first amen. Yay. <laughs> Matthew 5, 43, 47, it says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And this is where it gets really tricky for us sometimes. And we've, I feel like 
in my life going through a myriad of number of churches. I've been involved in ministry probably since I was about 18 or 19 years old. Actually, younger than that. When I was, I think I was about 17 years old, I went to the San Bruno Nazarene Church over there. And as a 17-year-old kid, for some reason, they thought it was a really a good idea to have me run the youth ministry. I don't know what they were thinking. There was like three kids in the youth group, and because uh, it was a super small church. There was like maybe 15 or 20 of us there. And uh, I remember sitting around and with the pastor and one of the other Sunday school teachers there. And it was like, hey, Joe could do the youth group. And I was like, what? And I'm um, like, oh, okay. And I remember, um, to be honest, I had no idea what I was doing. I really didn't. And uh, it was me, another girl, some of us keep in contact still. There was a, a girl named Tara Graham, uh, and there was a, a, a kid, he was from Nicaragua. We were all about the same age, but he didn't speak English. So I remember, um, he spoke a little bit of English, but I remember one day, I just remember asking, does anybody want to accept Jesus and, you know, in your heart or anything like that? And there was three of us there, and, and he kind of raised his hand. I didn't know what to do, so I just went down the hall and got the pastor. Like, hey, kid, this guy wants to accept Christ, I don't know what to do. Can you do that whole Pastor Jesus thing? And he was like... Okay, <laughs> but um, you have heard it that it was said. I don't know why I said that. I just rambled because I'm just that random. But anyway, he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? In other words, what good is that? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Love is hard work, but it's worth it that we do it in the name of Christ because he commanded us to do so. Amen. I got my second one. Yay. <laughs> we have to be willing to do the difficult and hard work of love. Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you, persecute you. So how do we do that? One, we have to be willing to acknowledge that sometimes the persecution, hate, mistreatment we receive might have been a reaction of our own loveless behavior. That's a little hard to hear. I'm gonna give you a brief example here. How are we doing on time, by the way? We doing okay? I don't want to play like Pharaoh and keep God's people here all day long. Uh, so we must be willing to acknowledge that sometimes persecution, hate, mistreatment that we receive as believers sometimes might be the cause or the effects of our own words and actions here. Now, how many of us here are perfect? Good, we're tracking. Um, years ago, I used to work while I was in between ministry. Um, I quit ministry for a long time out of frustration. That's a whole other different message. And I took a job out of Trader Joe's over in Napa where I live at now. And I worked there on and off for about five or six years. I had the job for about five years and I always joked that it was four years too long. And um, there was a couple other Christians that, that worked there and we used to always kind of huddle together and, and talk. And I had this one guy that I used to work with. Again, I'm just gonna be brutally, bluntly honest with you. I nicknamed him Foul Mouth Chris. Because while he was a really good, he was a Christian believer, he was a good guy, really had a foul mouth on the work floor. And when I say, like, not the occasional word here or there, like, every other word, like, holy cow. And he was kind of a jerk. But then, like, we were sitting in the break room one day, and he was really upset. He's like, I don't understand why, you know, people are always mad at me and upset with me and don't want to hang out with me. And I said, Chris, it's because you're kind of a jerk, man. You got to, like, if you want people to understand where you're coming from, 
and where you're at with your walk with Christ is like, you have to learn how to love people a little bit better. And I felt like, you know, we had had this conversation several times about the way that as Christians, you know, we're supposed to be loving towards one another and, you know, not, he had a bad habit of calling people names and, and making fun of people on the floor for their hair, their face, or the way that they were shaped or anything like that. I mean, he was so, so bad. And so um, while I'm sitting here and I'm talking to him and kind of like arguing with me and debating with me, this other girl, a lady who is not a believer, comes over to me and she goes, well, as we're talking, she goes, Joe, I like you. And I'm like, oh, thank you so much. She's like, and I really appreciate you, but do you know you're smug? And my first reaction was, no, I'm not. She's like, yeah, yeah, you are. And I'm like, get out of here. So I kind of blew her off, but it bugged me, and it bugged me for weeks. She had really gotten under my skin, and I thought about it for a couple of weeks, and I was thinking about all my interactions with people. And it was not the message that I intended to give, but it was the one that people got because that's what I was projecting off. I thought I was just being a good Christian, <laughs> you know. And uh, I thought, you know what? She's right. Holy cow. I am smug. And uh, I went back to her about a couple of weeks later. And I said, you know what? You were right. She said, yeah, I know I was. <laughs> You're smug. <laughs> and that has stuck with me. That was like around 2013. And I think that every time now when I talk with people, like how, with all of my good intentions, am I being a Peter right now? In the name of holiness and righteousness, am I cutting somebody's ear off thinking I'm doing the right thing? Because you can be right in your spirit and react the wrong way to the outside world. And that bugged me. That really, really bugged me, and it still does. To the point where when we travel, uh, the, the band that I travel with, when we go overseas, that is my number one rule. It's like when we go, it's like, one, we have to get along with each other, but two, we have to be really careful how we treat each other. I mean, I'm not saying that you can't be frustrated or disagree with anybody, but how we treat people that are outside the quote-unquote brother or sisterhood of the Christian faith is really important. I'm trying to figure out how I want to say this. <laughs> it will be, as, as sometimes as believers, believing that we're doing the right thing and not being careful with how we portray ourselves and how we're coming across. If we're not coming across with a love, a sincere love, not just a love because you feel like you have to, but a sincere love and compassion for where, the other where other people are, or even if they have a faith, you know, um, people see through that really, really fast, and you can do more harm than you, than you do good. And that's something that has always been at the core of every ministry that I've been involved with. Um, side note here, uh, one of the first things that I did here when I decided to come on staff here after um, Pastor Albert and some of the people asked me if I was interested and I don't know if you guys picked up on this or not. Do you remember what song we sing at the end of service every week now? As we leave this place, you ever think about the words for that? How important that is? As we leave this place, fill us with your love and grace so that we can be more like you. Awesome. I'm just going to amen myself. <laughs> and if you want to toss one out there, go ahead. So how do we do that? How do we evaluate our ability to love people? And this is something that I actually learned just this week. Uh, let's go ahead and toss that one up there. And this is self-evaluation of our ability to love there. So 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 says, love, and I'm sure some of you guys have probably heard this before, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. 
Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Okay, so here's what we can do as an exercise here real quick. We're going to fill in the blanks. And here's something that I'm trying to do myself, because Lord knows I have a short fuse sometimes <laughs> when we deal with people. Instead of saying love when you read this verse, put your name there. Kevin is patient and kind. Cindy does not envy or boast. James is not arrogant or rude. And he's not. Joe does not insist on his own way. Joey is not irritable or resentful. Stephanie does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Justin bears all things. Justin believes all things, because Justin is perfect. Blank, fill in the blank, hopes all things, endures all things. When we interact with people, how on point are we with each and every one of these in our interactions? Each other, when we don't agree with each other, when we feel like we've been wronged with each other, Again, it's okay to have disagreements and to, uh, to be frustrated, but in our frustration, in our anger, in our zealousness, I guess, is, I don't know if that's the right word, eagerness, I'll just use that one, in our eagerness to correct, maybe uh, incorrect behavior that we feel is incorrect or wrongful behavior in each other and in the outside world, are we still following these principles here? Love is what? Hard. First verse that we read again. John 13, 34, 35. They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. And people will judge the character and the love of the church by how we speak and treat and show love to the outside world. Speaking of showing love to the outside world, to each other, we're going to move into communion time here. I'm going to have the, uh, the worship team come on back up. And as they are getting ready, um, if you need an element here, uh, they're going to be passing it around. I believe there's going to be people to pray down at the front. And uh, as we review God's love for us, this right here, this, what this represents, is everything that we've been talking about. Because Christ was patient and kind, because he wasn't arrogant or rude, he wasn't resentful. He bared all things. He endured all things for us. That this bread that represents his body was broken for us so that we could be forever in heaven with him. Let's take this together. And the, uh, the red juice in the cup represents his blood that was shed for us because he was patient and because he loved us, because he endured all things for us. Let's take this together. Lord, we just pray and thank you for your love. Help us to show your love for one another, to uphold each other's dignity, Lord, to hold each other accountable in love the way that you did for us. Help us to show love to an outside unbelieving world, Lord, as you did as we follow your example. Help us to not be prideful or rude or arrogant, Lord, 
but to walk in the love that you have showed us because we want to be more like you. In your name we pray. Everybody said?